So we're at the end of the year. Another year is coming up. We couldn't have forecasted what would have happened this last year. And there were surprises. There were challenges that happened. There were things personal to you where you got a phone call that was a surprise. And out of that surprise comes an element of fear. And then there's things that are brewing that are going to come to fruition in this coming year and they are outside of your control. And you're wondering how are we going to move through whatever it is that's ahead of us. For some it's a new job or no job at all. For others it's an undiagnosed situation that you're continuing to look for. For others, it can be a relational issue. For some, it can be inner turmoil. There's always challenges in life. And as we come to Luke chapter 2, we want to ask this question this morning. How are you going to overcome your fear in this new year? How would God have you overcome fear? So in the opening verses here of chapter 2, we're introduced to a very powerful man. His name is Caesar Augustus. You've heard his name before in history. He is one of the emperors of Rome. And he's just issued a decree from his throne that's going to require everyone to move, get into action. This decree is that all the world is going to be registered. A numbering is going to take place. A count is going to take place. Why does everyone need to be counted? Why does Caesar want this to happen? Well, if you have the old King James Version, it's because of a taxation. In order for us to get our taxes right, we need to know how many people are in the empire. Now, the way that this is going to happen, this counting, this census that's going to happen all over this Roman Empire, is that each person must go back to their hometown. For Joseph, this means that he's going to go to the city where his ancestors were from. That's the city of Bethlehem. So he sets out on a journey in this passage, and he's traveling uphill, up into the hills from the small town of Nazareth to the city of Bethlehem. That's the city that King David is from, the greatest king in Israel's history. By the way, David is that same king who was given a promise that someday a ruler would come who would sit on his throne forever. So here's Joseph traveling, but he's not simply traveling alone. He's going to Bethlehem with his betrothed. Betrothal was simply a legal arrangement or a legal engagement in which a man had pledged himself to a woman, that woman to this man, and it was on the books. The papers had been signed. The elders of the city had accepted it. And this marriage was going to happen in the future. But it was a legal kind of engagement. And Joseph's engaged to this young gal named Mary. As you read the opening of Luke chapter 1, you know that Mary is a very special woman. She's special because God has come to her, God has chosen her to be the mother of the Son of God. God miraculously, supernaturally, is going to place the Son of God in human form into Mary's womb. And week after week now, 
She has been growing in pregnancy with Jesus. Now, this decree that Caesar has issued, it doesn't have any exceptions to it. All people must be counted. And since Mary is betrothed to Joseph, this decree imposed by Caesar requires her to travel with her soon-to-be husband since she's legally bound to him. And the journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, up into the mountains as they travel southward, is approximately 90 miles. Now think about this, especially if you're Mary, maybe even Joseph as well. Can you imagine the frustration that you are facing at this time? Maybe even anger. Why did Caesar have to impose this registration right now? Why did it have to be at this time where we're pregnant? What about our big wedding day that's coming up? Why did the registration require that people have to go back to their sort of ancestral city? Why can't we simply do a count by mail-in or a check-in at the local government office? And possibly knowing that the pregnancy was a miracle that God chose to perform at this time, maybe even in the back of their minds, they're scratching their heads asking God, God, why? Why at this time, when we have to travel 90 miles, have you caused this pregnancy to be in our lap, if you will? Well, there's an answer to that. Because seven centuries earlier, God had spoken by a prophet. This prophet's name was Micah. And Micah, through his mouth, God had made this promise about this little city of Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, one whose coming is from of old, from ancient of days. Here's this little town of Bethlehem, and this little town of Bethlehem is going to be the place where a Savior is going to be born. A ruler in Israel is going to be born. Now, if you're short-sighted in your vision, seeing only the small picture, this trip down to Bethlehem, this inconvenience, this government obligation makes life appear as though everyone's moving around because of powerful people who get to make decisions. Powerful people who lead the countries around and you have to move at their behest. Decisions that they make that affect everyone's lives. But if you see the Bible as a big story and you see his promises being made and you see his hand over the lives of people, we know that this trip is no accident and it's not simply happening at the whim of a Caesar in Rome. This is taking place because God is in charge. It's happening because God has planned the event like this to take place according to his providence. God is governing all things, this pregnancy, this betrothal, this trip down to Bethlehem, in order to work out all things according to the counsel of his will. He's governing all things to take place the way that he wants them to. Eight months pregnant, perhaps. Mary wants to settle in, do some nesting, have the baby room prepared. 
get the mom and the midwife on, you know, quick dial. But here comes this census, this registration, this upheaval, this we have to go now, we have to move or else we're breaking the law. But it's all according to the actual plan of God. Psalm 22, verse 28 says this, For kingship, even Caesar, even Caesar's decrees, they belonged to the Lord, and he rules over the nation. So it's not simply Caesar Augustus in verse 1 that we're looking at. We're looking at the Lord of lords. We're looking at God himself who is saying to Caesar, you are going to do this. I'm going to govern your heart like rivers of water and direct you according to my will. And this is going to take place in my timing. This is God who is in ultimate control. God is the one that we see moving here. And folks, right now it's God in your life who is in ultimate control of the past events that have taken place and things yet to unfold in 2023. And the question is, will you trust him with those things that seem to be outside of your control? Those surprises, those events that stir up fear in your own life, wondering, how is this going to be settled? Well, Joseph and Mary have made the trip. They arrive in Bethlehem. And while they are there, verse 6 says, the time came for her to give birth. So here's this young lady no mom, no midwife with her. The contractions are starting. And the minutes between the contractions are lessening. The muscles are flexing. And you can begin to see the beads of sweat that are forming on her skin. She's going into heavier and heavier labor. The breathing gets more difficult. And the baby starts to move. And in verse 7, it says that the labor gave way to delivery. And all of this, this labor and delivery, is not happening at North Ottawa or Trinity somewhere. Verse 7 says that this was happening in the equivalent of a barn or an animal shelter. Because there was no room for them in the inn. The Holiday Inns were closed. The Super 8s were closed. The Marriott's. Nobody was willing to give up their room for Joseph and Mary and this baby who was arriving. Mary wrapped her son in swaddling cloths. And then the text says that she took her baby and laid him in a manger. Young people, a manger is a plate that the animals come and eat off. It's the feeding trough where grain or hay or straw would be placed so that the horses or the donkeys can come up and eat their food. And here's Mary laying her newborn baby wrapped up in claws and putting him in the feeding trough of all places. It's kind of strange that no one would give up a room, that no one would open up their house, their living quarters for this young couple. And you can't help but wonder if this birth was a foreshadowing of how Jesus's own people would reject him and shut him out. The text says in John chapter 1 that he came to his own people and they stiff-armed him. They received him not. Well, as we see the story unfold, you see the challenges that Joseph and Mary faced. 
an inconvenient registration, a journey of 90 miles, a full pregnancy, a city with no available rooms, but we know that in all of this, God was planning it all. From the city to the timing of the pregnancy to the location, every aspect of this delivery was happening under the providential and the sovereign hand of God. He was directing all of these events to take place according to his will. So then we move on. Scene two. Luke moves quickly from the manger scene to the grassy fields outside of Bethlehem, this little village. And in verse eight, it says that there were shepherds that were keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, these shepherds could have been really ragtag shepherds. Shepherds had a reputation for being the lowliest people in society. Bethlehem is not too far from Jerusalem, so some wonder if these shepherds were employed by the temple, shepherds who would raise animals for the purpose of sacrifices. We're not exactly sure. But here are these shepherds. It's nighttime. And if you've been out at nighttime recently, it's kind of eerie. They're out there watching the fields keeping watch over their flock by night, perhaps thinking about the howling coyotes, coyotes, wild dogs that could come and look for a midnight snack from the sheep. And it's their job to look for rustling grass or movement that would be taking place to go protect the sheep from these invaders. As they're watching into the evening, God sends an angel to them and he causes glory to shine all around them. Now think about this for just a moment. If you've gone camping or if you've gone for a walk at night when it's pitch black, you're out in the darkness and as you're there, you might think that you're all alone by yourself. Maybe you're sitting around a fire or maybe you're just staring up at the stars. Maybe you're camping in your tent well, all of the sudden, there's this moment of bright light that comes down you, and you are going to be stunned because you're going to say, who snuck up on me? I'm supposed to be keeping watch over all these things. And all of a sudden, somebody snuck up from behind me and is shining this bright light on me. This light that comes and shines around the shepherds takes them by surprise to the point that they are fearful. Who just snuck up? What's going on? Well, it's an angel. It's an angel sent from God's presence. Think about this, an angel just sent with a commission from heaven saying, go, I want you to go down to those shepherds down in Bethlehem in that, in that dark night in that field and I have a message for them. And as the angel arrives surprising these shepherds, they are filled with great fear. Now, as you think about this theme of fear, fear comes up in the birth narratives of Jesus over and over again. In Matthew 1, when the angel came to Joseph, the angel said to Joseph about the announcement of Jesus, do not be afraid. And then in Luke 1, when Gabriel came to Mary, same message. The message was, do not be afraid. When he showed up, to visit with Zechariah, the message was, do not be afraid. And now the angel shows up with the shepherds, and it's the same message. Do not be afraid. Fear not. 
Now, why do we have fear? We have fear because of surprises. We have fear because things are outside of our control. A light has just shown into our light, surprisingly. We fear because we don't know what the outcome is going to be. Today, there are many of us who live in fear of what's going to happen. Fear of what's going to happen politically. Fear of what's going to happen to our health. Fear that we're not going to be able to live out the dreams that we had. Fears of whether or not we're going to have the relationship that goes forward. For some, it might be that you might not be able to grow old with your spouse. There are things that we can't control, and what happens is fear starts to creep in. And it robs us of peace, it robs us of joy, it overwhelms us with a sense of helplessness, and makes us feel as though we are being controlled by something greater. And here, the shepherds, they are filled with fear. And over and over again, the angel comes and says to these individuals, fear not. Do not be afraid. Now think about this for just a moment. If the angel stopped with those words, fear not, then the onus would be upon us to conjure up some sort of bravery and courage. Okay, I have to find it within myself. I have to dig deep. I have to find it in my heart to not be afraid, but that's not what the angel says. Fear not, and I have a reason for you to not fear. It's this. I'm bringing you good news of great joy. Look at the contrast. Here I'm living in fear. Fear robs me of joy. And now the angel is saying, fear not. Why should I not fear? Because of what is happening. I am bringing you good news of great joy joy. And what's this great joy all about? The great joy is this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, fear is going to be driven out by the joy of who Jesus is. And who is Jesus that the angels are announcing? Well, he is a Savior he is Christ the Lord. And if the angel was showing up to your house today, young people, if the angel was showing up in your bedroom at night, Gabriel would be saying the same thing. Fear not. Why? Because of who Jesus is. There's no reason for us to fear what's happening right now. There's no reason for us to fear what might be coming in 2023. Why is there no reason to fear? Because great joy of who Jesus is. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the Savior. He is Christ the Lord. Now, when you think about this theme of Jesus being a Savior, this was announced to Matthew, or to Joseph in Matthew's gospel. The angel showed up. And he told Joseph, this young child in Mary's womb, he's a savior. He is going to save his people from their sins. When Mary, pregnant out of wedlock, went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, 
The two women could have turned their heads inward and their hearts could have dropped with fear of what's going to happen to your reputation, Mary. You haven't entered into marriage yet and this is such a surprise. But instead, Mary's attention went heavenward and she exclaimed, my soul magnifies the Lord. I'm seeing the Lord through all of this and my spirit rejoices, there's joy, in the God of my salvation, in God my Savior. What was driving fear out of Mary's life, it was the person of God. Focusing on the saving nature of God lifts us above our circumstances and drives out fear. Jesus is a savior. As you continue on throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, as an adult now, meets this short little guy named Zacchaeus. And he comes to Zacchaeus and he says to Zacchaeus, listen, the son of man, that's himself, I've come to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was lost. He, he was without a savior. He didn't know direction in life. And here is Jesus saying, this is what I've come to do. Hebrews 9 verse 28 Hebrews 9, 28 says this, but as it is, he appeared, he has appeared, his coming took place once for all at the end of the ages to do what? To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus appear? He came to put away. I love that phrase, put away. I'll walk into the room of any of my children and there's a mess all over the place. And it makes me kind of like start to twitch a little bit. Why can't this mess be cleaned up? And then eventually I'll say, hey, put this away, put this away. And eventually they'll come in and they'll pick up their clutter and it's gone. It's put away. It disappears. Jesus comes into our lives, folks. With all of the things that have happened in your lives, with all of the disappointments that you see about your life, with all of the sins that have taken place, and here's why Jesus came. He came to be a savior by putting away our sin. Fear not. Here's good news of great joy. The savior has come to put away your sin. You believe in the savior. The savior is saying, I can clean up your mess. It's not you. You don't have to dig deep. I'm the one who does this in your life. Fight fear with joy in Jesus that he is the one who saves us from our sins. But not only did the angel say, hey, a savior has been born, but also Christ the Lord has been born. What is he meaning by Christ the Lord? Christ meaning that anointed or special one and Lord meaning the one who is ruler. So this special Lord, this special ruler has come. Jesus is the special ruler. Going back to the beginning, there's Caesar Augustus in Rome. He's sitting on, he's the ruler. Oh no, here's a king of kings and a lord of lords. And what do we know about this lord of lords? What do we know about Jesus? What makes his rulership so great? Well, it's interesting that four times in this little section here, we see the term Lord. Earlier we read that it was the angel of the Lord who appeared to the shepherds, and it was the glory of the Lord that surrounded them. In verse 15 it says, 
that the shepherds say to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So every time in this section that the Lord is being used, it's pointing to the divine, to the deity of God. And then you have this little baby that's being born in a manger. And the angel is saying, it's Christ, the Lord. This is God who has come in the flesh. This is Jesus. He's not just a man. He's the son of God from heaven. Lord, he's divine. And not only is he divine, but he's ruling over all things. As you, as you just sort of follow Jesus throughout the gospel of Luke, you see that Jesus uses his lordship, his rulership, and conquers all things that pose as an enemy or a threat to him. He looked at diseases. Here's the Lord. Here's the ruler who says, I've got that disease under my control. I can heal it if I want. And he removes diseases from people. We see him lording his power over demons, saying, be gone. We see him being the Lord over creation. Here comes the storms that take place, has ownership over that. We see Jesus demonstrating his lordship over death itself. He raised people from the dead, and in the last chapters of Luke, we see him raising himself from the dead. Here is the mighty Lord who has come, and he can conquer anything. I think about the classic illustration. Here is this little kid in a back alley, and there's the gang that has surrounded him, and his knees are shaking, and he's definitely outnumbered, and he can't defeat this gang at all. And there he is, fearful, until he hears the footsteps behind him of a mighty warrior coming up who's greater than the gang. And now he has joy because his victory is secure in the mighty warrior, not in himself. And here is the Lord who has come. He's the ultimate ruler over all things in your life. He's stronger than anything in your life. He is in ultimate control. So, we finish out this year hearing the words of the angel. Fear not. Fear not of what might come in 2023. Fear not when Satan tempts you to despair over your sin because you have a Savior who has come to put away your sin if you will believe in him. Fear not when you feel as though your faith is weak. Your faith is not ultimate. It's the object of your faith that is ultimate. And Jesus, the Savior, the Lord, has come to save. Fear not when you have to wait for the diagnosis this coming year. Wondering, what's it going to be, good or bad? Fear not when you have to wonder, what's going to happen to my children? He is ultimately ruling and governing their hearts. Fear not when you don't know how the relationship is going to go forward. Fear not when you don't see a way out. Why? Because I have to dig deep? No, fear not because there's good news of great joy. We have a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and he has come. We fight fear this year by finding our joy in who Jesus is. He's a Savior. He's Christ the Lord. Let's pray.